Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks and Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is September 3rd, and that means it's episode number 93. Well, just ahead, a newly public company shows the world that buy now, pay later is just what consumers want, and the business is not just limited to Peloton any longer. We'll have that story and Kroger facing big pressure from organized crime. And we'll hear how online dating has evolved during the pandemic. The company you might not know, Spark, big online dating company. We've got the CEO, Eric Eichmann, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on oh so many podcast platforms, but when you do, click subscribe and follow us. Maybe even leave a review so the rest of the world can see what you like about listening to the show every day. And the uh, drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome back to The Drill Done. We hope you're coming back. We hope you've been here before. We hope you come back again. And I am so lucky every day to be joined by Isaac Webster, our executive producer, who will share with us the three most important developments in the world of business today. Isaac. Oh, I'm, I'm blushing right now. Oh, you go can't, on. You can't see me, but I'm blushing. Uh, Corey, let's start with Toyota. Toyota Do you know is- that people don't know what you look like? <laughs> I guess not, no. I've had some really interesting responses from some listeners when I asked them, what do you think Isaac looks like? And I'm not telling. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, well, I know I sound like a troll. I'm one definitely of those not trolls, telling you. One of those trolls underneath the bridge. Um, okay. Listeners, Toyota. is not what you expect. <laughs> Please continue. Toyota. Toyota is further slashing production targets as COVID-19 hits supplies in Southeast Asia. Toyota is now reducing its planned global production further by 70,000 units in September due to the global shortage that we've been talking about from semiconductors and other parts. Of these, uh, 30,000 of these units will be at Japanese plants and the rest will be in the U.S., China, Europe and other Asian countries. Uh, this is on top of other car makers we've heard of slowing down or uh, mm-hmm. complete, you know, Certain makes and models are just not being made, uh, and this is this isn't getting any smaller. Um, it's it's interesting, um, and this doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Is this a ripple effect that's going to bleed into like t- obviously next year, but maybe even twenty twenty four? Well, it's not just that. It's it, what happens to the workers, right? If the workers are working sure. less hours, even mm-hmm. before layoffs, and I say before, not instead of, because I think the layoffs right. could be on the horizon uh, if right. this continues. Look, if they're not spending as much money on everything else, it, you know, the biggest employers in the country uh, have been the automakers. And if the automakers aren't seeing robust signs of growth, auto workers know what that means. That means that they spend less 
that's bad for the whole economy. Toss in the problems about uh, people not getting vaccinated and the economic effect of that. I don't want to talk about the silliness that that's politics or anything else. I don't need to get into vaccinations, but it is a true fact that fewer people getting vaccinated has led to a faster spread of the disease and faster spread of the disease has meant the economy is slowing down and the recovery is weaker as a result. That doesn't help the automakers or any business. Is that science, Corey? Hmm. Hey, now one question though. In Japan though, a lot of these plants are automated. So possibly, is it possible that layoffs won't be as bad in Japan? No, the plants there aren't, aren't much more automated than they are anywhere else anymore. They aren't, they're all the same? Sure. All right. Okay. Well, let's move no, on. No, nothing's ever the same. Nothing's ever the same. You're right. Everything's changing. God now, number two, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub are suing New York City over commission caps. During the pandemic, New York City temporarily capped the cost delivery apps could charge restaurants. And last month, they made that cap permanent. Now, some of these biggest names in the business are fighting back, saying the limit on fees has cost the companies hundreds of millions of dollars combined through July. It would also like likely require them to reduce marketing in New York and raise fees for consumers. Yeah, or consumers will use them less. It may have indeed cost them. That might not be the only consideration here. We'll see mainly if this is a legal thing that New York can do. Um, obviously, the apps are super popular. Food delivery is super popular. But for the restaurants, it's been very punishing. It's sort of a, a the, the, the devil you've got to deal with um, in order to keep selling stuff. We'll see how what happens with that. Um, if the pandemic does, in fact, decrease and people can get back to actually being in restaurants in size like they were in 2019. All right. Now, and finally, uh, a judge has ordered Apple to loosen app store restrictions in a mixed verdict. The case pitted Steve Jobs' vision of a walled garden of Apple hardware against Epic co-founder Tim Sweeney's desire for an open ecosystem. Epic Games makes Fortnite, and it brought the lawsuit, claiming that Apple was improperly using its monopoly power and harming competition. But the judge today rejected efforts by the Fortnite video game maker to force Apple to let programs be downloaded onto the iPhone outside of the confines of the Apple App Store. So a mixed verdict, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Look, Fortnite and other companies want to be able to charge and upsell customers and continue to sell customers without Apple, which made the initial sale or helped the initial sale without Apple taking a cut. This is fundamental to Apple's future growth. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Kroger. Kroger trades under C KR. KR shares fell today, but they've risen 23% in a year. What's going on with Kroger? Okay, so the quarter, so let's remember a year ago, Kroger was, you know, doing quite well as were most of the grocery stores. Their, their revenue this year was even higher for the most recent quarter, $32 billion, 4% bigger than last year. Gross margins, however, were worse. So gross margins went from 22% to 21.4%. Operating margins, of course, are single digits for Kroger um, and lower single digits. But uh, gross margin pressure was notable. And when people took a look at what the quarter said, now, it was the things that we talk about almost every day on the show lately, the difficulty in the supply chain, the cost of the supply chain. They're not talking about empty shelves uh, going into the end of the year, as we saw at the beginning of last year. But they are talking about the extra costs added to uh, supplying stores that weren't there a year ago. They also talked about shrinkage. Isaac, you know about shrinkage? 
Um, you know, shrinkage. You mean shrinkage? Yes. <laughs> Significant shrinkage. So you you feel you were shortchanged? Yes. So Kroger shortchanged. Shrinkage. Shrinkage. What's caused so shrinkage in the grocery business or in retailing is people stealing stuff. It's people, you know, putting oh. a, uh, uh, you know something in, in their back pocket or into their bag or you know smuggling uh, some chocolates out of the grocery store. I don't know what. Well, it turns out shrinkage at Kroger right now is a shockingly big problem, and it's not just people. Wait, grabbing so shrinkage stuff. is stealing? It's stealing. Okay, so shrinkage why can't we just call? Stealing. Let's just can we just call it stealing? They call why it shrinkage? shrinkage and retailing. And it's so uh, big, they are saying it's a result of organized crime. And that what? organized crime is so bad that it's stealing stuff in size, reselling stuff on eBay and Amazon and so on. <laughs> but the shrinkage at Kroger is affecting their gross margins. Here Wait. is CEO Bill McMullen. Okay. If you look at shrink, uh, I think shrink will remain higher. Now, we will go through and do all kinds of process changes to try to minimize shrink. Uh, but we are being more aggressive, and uh, Christine Wheatley, who's our general counsel, is also working with some trade associations uh, to try to uh, uh, start working on it in a broader uh, group, not just uh, Kroger-specific when you look at organized crime. And I know I was reading Home Depot's earning, uh, uh, earnings call, and they talked about the same thing. Uh, so we do believe it'll be important uh, to partner with the government uh, and the way products are able to be sold in the marketplace. Um, so I, I do think there's things we will do to improve, uh, but some of it will be a headwind until we're able to address that. On supply chain, um, I think an awful lot of that will be uh, transitory, uh, but you still have to uh, manage through it. So shrinkage. Now, organized crime and Or and stealing. Yeah, well, so organized crime and groceries has a long history. There's a wonderful out-of-print book called Vicious Circles by the investigative journalist, the late investigative journalist, Jonathan Quitney, where he writes about the history of organized crime as it relates to butchers. And it used to be, even in the 60s and 70s, you couldn't get pieces of meat that were already cut in the butcher shop because the butcher's union, which was allegedly had ties to organized crime, would not allow cut meat to show up because you wouldn't need butchers in every grocery store. And if you didn't need butchers in every grocery store, the union wouldn't get the payments that they were getting and and, steal and and diverting to organized crime, allegedly. So there's a long history of the relationships between organized crime and grocery stores fighting them and big grocery chains that didn't happen nationally because of those arrangements. That goes back to the 60s and 70s. Now it's a new kind of organized crime and Kroger's right back in the thick of it. I'm so... <laughs> This feels like for you there. I mean, this feels like a Scorsese film in the making. Uh, you know, I'm going to write this screenplay. As an Italian American, I take great offense at that. Why? How is that offending to you? Oh, it's not. Okay, okay I didn't think it did. Um, anyway, okay, from shrinkage slash stealing to. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at a firm holdings. Affirm Holdings. Affirm uh, trades under AFRM. Shares jumped over 30% today. So Affirm provides financial services, essentially buy now, pay later options that have become very popular with consumers where there's sort of a limited pay later thing. It's not put it on your credit card, but it's a limited number of statements. Although Affirm had some new, Affirm talked about a credit card offering. 
firm also talked about uh, their their partnership with Peloton. So they have a huge partnership with Peloton that has been as much of a third of a firm's revenues mm. have come from Peloton. When Peloton sales blew up during the pandemic, a mm. firm's revenues followed right in pace. So some people looked at this recently public company, a firm, and said, geez, if Peloton sales are slowing down and that's a third of the revenue, maybe a firm's not going to be too strong going forward. Mm-hmm. Enter today's quarterly results and we find out firm's doing just fine, regardless of what's happening to Peloton. And they're extending to some really big retailers, retailers like Amazon, retailers like Walmart. Now, um, it's super interesting for this company because those bigger retailers aren't as good margin-wise. But what a firm does is they gather this debt. They use what they say magic technology. They don't call it magic. I'm calling it magic. They use technology to look through the data to say, hey, these credit risks are not as great as you think. We're going to pile them all together and sell them off to other investment institutions that want to have people who are paying back their credit, a steady stream of, of, of money, which is what you want in any debt instrument. They're having great success for this. And the reason it's interesting for them is because the big partnerships like Amazon and Walmart might not give them great gross margins, but it will give them a lot more product to sell and create a regular stream of customers buying debt coming from a firm. But the company's still not profitable. And what's interesting, you know, you know uh, Max Levchin, Isaac, the, the, the CEO? founder of a firm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A former PayPal guy, uh, speaking yep. of the mafia, they would refer to these guys as PayPal mafia, along with Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and Reid Hoffman and, and others. Um, so what was interesting really is what they talked about is their investment in technology right now is causing them to lose money, but there will be profits soon. And you can see it when you look deeper into the numbers or so says a firm CFO, Mike Linford. Technology is, we say this a lot, and we really are a technology company. And and for those who listened yesterday and get a sense of who Max is and, and how we think about products Max here, the CEO it's probably. core to everything that we do. And, and what that means is we're building platforms that have substantial leverage and scale benefit. And we'll almost certainly, um, when you get to that hyperscale point, not need the same level of new product building. And so the, what, the right way to think about it is, in the long run, technology and data analytics expenses and sales and marketing will have real leverage. Okay. Um, and then separately is we, we focus today because those investments are long-term. We focus today on whether or not the assets we're generating, the transactions that we process on our platform, produce that contribution, take rate, that revenue less transaction cost number. So we just talked about it being at 4.5%. That's a really healthy number. If you scale that number up to the kind of enterprise level scale that we are trying to build right now, that's a lot of variable profit. And there's, there's real little concern about our ability to print really healthy EBITDA margins once we get to scale. So again, that was the CFO, Mike Linford, at a, a Deutsche Bank conference this morning, the day after their reported earnings. And uh, again, the notion that there's technology of investment up front is going to create profits down the line. We'll see. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Teradata, which is a company we don't talk about quite a bit, but a big, important technology company. Teradata trades under TDC. Shares fell today, but they've risen over 130% in a year. So tell me about Teradata. I've never heard of this company either. So it's, it's a big tech company that does uh, consulting services, and they've, they've changed as the technology needs of the world have changed. Very focused on helping putting company in the cloud. It's going to big corporate customers and helping move their processes on the cloud, whether it's Google or Amazon or Microsoft, Azure. Uh, Teradata's 
Teradata has kind of a multi-cloud platform for big companies and does the analytics on top of that. So it helps companies not just put their data on the cloud, but understand what's happening in that data, where the value is in that data, and run those analytics across the data that's on the cloud or on-premise so the customers that have hired them can start to figure out what the data tells them. Well, they're seeing a big increase in their business. They gave a business update today, and they said that the annual um, amount of public cloud contracts they've got is up 157% from a year ago to $139 million. It's $139 million average run rate. Their recurring revenue, they say, is $376 million across all of their products, and they're generating cash from operations a lot more than they were from $95 million to $225 million. So this company going through this big kind of turnaround in the midst of this digital transformation, there's our drinking game. It's a Friday. Mm-hmm. Grab those drinks, digital transformation, glug, glug. Yeah, I'm already on my third drink at this point. As everyone listening to this podcast knows. So uh, <laughs> the, the Teradata folks uh, in the midst of this digital transformation, look, it sounds like it's working. Um, but again, there were some hints in this. It's maybe it's not working great because there's very specifically their cloud, uh, they call it cloudvisory, whatever, security Ooh. platform. So it's cloud, it's advisory, it's security, and it's a platform. They call it CSP. That business, they said it was going to be between 15 and $20 million in a quarter. It was $15 million. So The very bottom of the guidance. And they're saying next quarter, it's going to be 15 again. So why isn't this thing, this cloud security platform at the heart of their business, why isn't that better right now? Well, the CEO just said, Steve McMillan, he just said, you know, it's, it's big business. It's lumpy. Our business can be lumpy due to the large contracts that we execute. Um, we certainly, we always want to uh, set guidance that we um, we are comfortable with, that we know that we don't want to disappoint our investors. Um, we do expect a very strong fourth quarter. Again, to, to the point uh, from earlier, as we go through the year, we have more difficult compares. Um, in terms of the shape of the cloud business, uh, we are pretty much in line with the marketplace in terms of uh, the distribution of our cloud customers. Um, we started obviously earlier with uh, AWS, and um, you know our GCP release was uh, was in third quarter from uh, last year. Um, we are seeing really go- good growth as well with uh, with Azure. So. Um, we're pretty happy with uh, how we are being represented across each of the CSPs. Um, I think the CSPs are also starting to see the fact that um, you know when they've deployed Teradata in their uh, ecosystem, there is knock-on impact in terms of their sales of first-party services, which uh, because we're well integrated into those environments now, it's uh, it's given some momentum and focus from the CSP sales folks to uh, put Teradata into their proposals. So they think those proposals are working. They think they're going to make those sales. And they think that over time, that's going to work well for them. But, you know, the stock, as you mentioned, sold off quite a bit uh, today, Isaac. But they've still got a, you know, $6.1 billion market cap. So this this business, it's gone from, you know, it's basically gone two and a half times up uh, in the last year, 150%, I should say 150% increase in the last year. So real turnaround there, even though today it took a header. All right, come up next, we're going to look at the world of online dating, how that has changed. Interestingly, in the world of online dating, which is better, 
online dating for a quick hookup? Or is the business better when online dating is focused on finding love and a partner? That's what Spark is after. And the CEO, Eric Eichmann, talks about to us about the better business model, sex, or a lasting love affair. Isaac? Finding love in a hopeless place, just like Rihanna told us. Let's find uh, some love from our sponsors. Okay. Such as? Brain Trust, a global talent network. That love matches. <laughs> we They are a sponsor of Drill Down. Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands, such as Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more. Brain Trust helps these companies build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T, Braintrust.com to learn more. We also love Indeed because when you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. Get Indeed and only pay for quality candidates who meet your must-have requirements. Don't just hope for the perfect candidates. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to help you make sure that you're finding applications from the people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined and one and a half times more hires and even internal referrals. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Try it out. Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid only through September 30. So go fast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Eric Eichmann, CEO of Spark Networks, which has, you know, one of the all-time stock tickers of LOV. And in full disclosure, uh, Eric, uh, I at one point was a a shareholder of Spark Networks um, and am not at the time of this broadcast. But uh, I'll just say it was a painful thing to own stock in because it looked like the numbers were so good. It looks like the business of online dating is so good the yep. stock hasn't performed. I don't want to talk about the stock much, but yeah. I do want to talk about the business so we can understand how it works and what could work yeah. better and what you're doing to make the business work. Got it. So what Happy so what is Happy the business of Spark? How do you define it? Yeah, so you 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 read the ticker. Yes. It's love, right? So L O V. Who could be against that? Yeah, who could be against love? There's plenty of love uh, so to go we're around. in the business <laughs> we're in the business of online dating for serious relationships. Uh or our goal is really to be the leader in social dating for meaningful relationships. Um and I'll explain a bit more of that. But as you know, online dating has grown a lot. Uh and uh, it's a very common thing now. As a matter of fact, uh most of the people that meet through online dating report a happier more durable relationship than other means. Uh, and about 40% of singles in the US uh, meet through online dating. So it's, it's you know, it's it's very common now. It's very commonplace versus what it used to be 20 years ago. Uh, it's a great So way when I met the Apple model sitting people. at a cocktail party next to me, that was the, that we're doomed, I guess. We didn't meet online. But uh, well, that doesn't mean that every <laughs> single encounter that's not online fails, but it's more likely that you have a successful uh, relationship over time. If you need to so online, specifically, yes. you guys have a lot of brands. People wouldn't yeah. know who want to know the world of online dating wouldn't know Spark, but they would know the sort of forty plus world. You've got of Zeus, Silver Singles, and Elite Singles. They might know the uh, faith based dating, which I think yeah. is 
funny as hell that you've got Christian Mingle and J-Date under the same umbrella. But why not? Why not? Why not? As a matter of fact, so, so we do say social dating for meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationship really refers to the fact that, you know, we cater for serious relationships um, and or properties tend to be 40 plus uh, and then also religious based uh, interest relationships, which, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Christian Mingle and J-Date and those five properties you mentioned are the largest for us, right? We have 13 uh, brands, but the really important ones that make up more than 95% of our revenue are uh, Zusk, Elite Singles, Silver Singles, Christian Mingle, and J-Date. And you've got J-Swipe and, and LDS we do have Singles J-Swipe. for the more Yeah, Later Day you. Saints uh, Singles, which is popular in uh, mostly in Utah. But uh, yeah, so we have other ones that are smaller. Yes, of course. Um, I'm sure they are. So this using is, our properties. the online dating market, I will grant you, is very big. How do you capture uh, that market, you know, given that there are some, some really big competitors out there, in particular yeah. in, with, with Match, with, with Tinder, with Bumble, and so on? Yeah. So I would make a distinction in the market because there are serious relationships, which we cater to. Uh, and by the way, that ends up being a business model that's more subscription-based. Um, and then there's more younger uh sort of audiences in the more of the casual that doesn't mean they don't become serious but it's more of the casual uh relationship side and when you think of tinder and bumble uh they skew younger uh and they tend to be in that segment uh and so those are people that are still sort of exploring they're still meeting a lot of people and um they tend to sort of be in models that are more freemium that tend to stay longer in those platforms right so that doesn't mean again that they don't find Many people have found sort of relationships that are long lasting, but the segments are different. And so we tend to focus on that segment. Uh, and that's what makes us uh, a bit different than a lot of the other folks uh, out there. We do compete with some of the match brands. So match.com, Upward, and those kinds of brands compete against some of our properties. But we obviously stand our own. We're one of the four largest uh, online uh, dating brands and it matters because you do have to have scale to succeed. Um, Why? Why does, how does scale help? Yeah. Cause, uh, so you, you know, if you think about online dating, there are two things that are important in the product, right? So, um, number one is you need to have people in the product, right? So if you're in San Francisco, San Mateo, if you're, I don't know, in Little Rock, uh, you want to make sure that you find people around you that are singles that are eligible that you can meet uh, and sort of achieving that what we call liquidity at a local level, uh, but do that on a national level takes quite a bit of marketing dollars. And so what you see in the in, in the market is that you have brands that are pretty large and then a lot of smaller brands that were generally born out of sort of large metropolitan areas, San Francisco or New York City, and they, they rarely go over 20, 30 million dollars. Uh, they have a hard time scaling. Uh, to achieve that local liquidity. So there, there are some network effects, I think, in the serious in any marketplace side. business, right? You want to have a, a, a volume of offerings. Correct, correct. And I would say, I would say, obviously, in the, if you think of a Tinder or Bumble, because people stay longer, there are stronger network effects. Because in our relation, in, in our properties, if, um, if you're successful as a customer, you end up sort of in a happy relationship, you probably cancel your subscription or you sort of, you know, let it right. uh, end. And then you're off to another thing. You might come back uh, if it didn't work. But generally, sort of, you know, we have a different churn profile than uh, Tinder or a Bumble. Different being more. 
Being higher, yeah, because there's natural, it's it's just natural churn. It's not that they're unhappy with the product. If they're very happy with their product, they start they churn out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, that's what we want, right? So, uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it's uh, it's interesting, too, in, in, the, in the large, that older market, but it does seem, I mean, any marketplace, right? You want more buyers and sellers, whether it's the New York Stock Exchange or whether it's it's J-Date, right? You want to have more buyers and sellers there. Is there a, a sort of a flywheel effect, though, when you get to a certain point where the marketing cost per added user uh, lessens? Yeah, I will see. It makes a difference, right? Because if you can buy nationally where you get better rates, uh, then you're able to fill, if you will, that local liquidity at better rates than if you're just trying to buy New York or San Francisco, right? So those are media markets. As soon as you target, and by the way, I used to sort of run an ad tech company. So, but as soon as you, as you, as you target, uh, sort of more restricted geographical areas, it becomes more expensive, uh, yeah. to buy that. So, so there is, there are benefits, uh, in terms of scale from a marketing perspective. Now, what do you do to grow the business? So a couple of things. So, so there's a natural, if you think about our segment, the 40 plus and religious segment, it's, as the market has matured, the segments have become more important and started to grow faster. So the, the addressable market, the way we look at it, is about $2.3 billion. And that's growing at about 7%. Uh, and the sort of the general market is growing more like 4 or 5%. So it's growing faster. So there's a natural growth of the market of more people coming in. The second thing that's important in that is that if you look at uh, the penetration that exists for online singles for, uh, for online dating is about 40%. But when you go and look at the 45 plus market, that's about 20%. So there's, as people get more comfortable with online dating, there's an opportunity to sort of, you know, increase also the usage, uh, of those users. So, so that's the baseline. Um, and then as, as, as you think about, um, something that has happened since the pandemic is people are conducting a lot more social activities online. So you might watch a movie with somebody online. You might go on a guided tour online. You might, you know, there's, you've seen some of, uh, for example, the meet group, uh, has live streaming. People spend a lot of time online sort of live streaming with other potentially doing speed baits. And so these whole area of what we call social discovery is very relevant to the, uh, online dating market. And it's. As, as soon as you have increased engagement and more time spent and more frequent uh, visits to our sites, you're growing the market. So that's an exciting part of the market. And that's why when I say social dating for meaningful relationships, I explain the meaningful relationship part, but there's the social part that's becoming an integral part of our properties. Yeah. What did you see during the pandemic and during the lockdown? Obviously, it was hard for people to meet in any way, whether it was online yeah. or offline or some combination thereof. That's right. So I, you know, interestingly enough, when um, when it became real in the U.S., the majority of our business in the U.S., I'll explain that in a second. But um, in March of 2020, initially, we saw the numbers going down, I guess, because people went out and uh, went to buy toilet paper and whatever else, and they were not focused. But once they were at home and if you're single and you're looking for a relationship, you have more time in front of the screen and uh, you don't have the ability to go to a bar or meet people at a theater or something like that. So we saw we saw real engagement. Um, the the break on that is that you couldn't meet people live, right? Uh, there was uh, the lockdowns didn't allow you to do that. So I, I thought you know we were quite resilient uh, through that period, and there was quite a bit more engagement, uh, which was great to see. And yeah, this is a question for the future, right? Because with the Delta variant and sort of potentially more I wanted more to ask you about that. I mean, Bumble came yeah. out with a, a, a survey, who knows the accuracy of said survey, but they said 20% of the people in Bumble were concerned about 
Delta variant and cutting back on meeting people. And I wonder what that, if you've seen anything like that in your business, heck, if, if, if your business is about closing long-term relationships, maybe people yeah. not meeting, but being on your side is a good thing for you because it extends yeah, the mean, period they're on. Yeah. Interestingly enough. So I think, and we don't have a lot of data around this, but because it takes a longer time to meet somebody and to feel comfortable, if you're looking for a serious relationship, you want to spend more time sort of getting to know the person and most of that activity might happen online. And so I think in general, that's the positive effect for us of some of these sort of pandemic related lockdowns, but uh, there's, there's still a negative effect. And that is that at some point they still want to meet. So, uh, but in general, I think, so we've, when we give our guidance, we're traded on the American stock exchange. Um, when we give our guidance, we, we've been quite neutral on the effect of the pandemic because when it opens up, people can meet. And so that, you know, they're like, oh, okay, now I can meet. Let me just go and find someone. And when it closes down, they still want to sort of, you know, have the conversations with people and they have more time in front of their screen. So, so again, for us, it's been neutral. I think for, for brands like Tinder and others, the lockdowns have not been as good because that's, you, you meet somebody, you want to meet them pretty quickly, right? Then in our case, it's not exactly the same. It must be maddening for you. Uh, and I, you know, again, I don't like to focus on the show too much on stock price at all, but it must be maddening for you to look at, you know, there was a while when your stock price was rising fantastically as Bumble approached its IPO. And after the Bumble IPO, the stock price, your business has been just as strong as it was six months ago, but the stock price has really come off. And I wonder so you I, know, what that means for the way you run the business, how you pay your employees and, and how you deal with that. Well, I think uh, the same, it, it hasn't changed the way we run the business, except for the investor relations side, which is obviously much more <laughs> active. But in terms of how we run the business, we're all about sort of building value for customers and bringing features and functionality to them and bringing the right people in our platforms so that people can find their match. And so um, that hasn't changed. Uh, and I think, you know, one, one of the things, if you, you, you followed the history of the company, the company was originally founded in Germany and Germany, the original right. brands were things like eDarling. And then they, from that company came things like elite singles and silver singles. The company bought Spark, uh, Spark LA, LA based company, and they had all the religious based brands. So they had, you know, J Day, Christian Mingle, J Swipe, LDS singles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we became traded in the New York Stock, uh, on the Amex, which is part of the New York Stock Exchange. And then recently in July, 2019, we completed the acquisition of Zeusk, uh, Zeus San Francisco based company, uh, sort of a broader audience, still a little bit stronger. Very big acquisition for you guys, real game changer in terms yeah. of the number of users Correct. and so on. Correct. And, and, and so, you know, the challenge with Zeusk is it was a declining brand. So it was declining by 15% top line. Revenue and I think the, the the you know the the prior folks were thinking more about okay how do we sort of sell the company and so there wasn't a lot of investments that were made that were product investments that would sort of generally pay off in the in the mid to longer term uh, and so a lot of that was not being looked at and so when I arrived in the company I arrived in November 2019 so five months into it that's a lot of the work that we've been doing and it's really about turning around. So the other brands are working, are, are growing well, the non-Zeus brands and Zeus, uh, we've sort of decreased the decline that we had on the top line, but haven't yet started to grow. And I think that's why if you think about some of the, the, the skepticism that exists in the investor communities, can these guys uh, turn this around? We, we believe we can, and we, we believe we've made a lot of moves that are sort of showing the right trajectory. And the expectation is really we'll start growing again next year. And that really changes the dynamics in terms of how you look at the company. Growing top line or growing across the board? Top line. Well, they, so if you think about it, like if you were to think about it 
as two separate brands or two separate sort of groups of brands, we got Zeusk and Spark, the old sort of, uh, they're not old, but the other brands. Um, and uh, those are growing uh, and Spark and Zeusk is not. So it's really about growing Zeusk. And once we're growing, Zeusk will be growing the whole, uh, the whole pie. Right, because from a valuation standard, you know, standpoint, you know, Match has, call it 10 times more revenues than you. And yet, is fifty times more valuable according yeah. to the public markets, and it just it's a, it's a it's it's hard to wrap your head around that difference in evaluation. Yeah, I think the, so. So there was another. Um, so in addition to the decline, uh, declining top line of Zeus, we also had uh, to to acquire Zeus, which was a large acquisition for the company. We took quite a bit of debt. Yeah, and that debt came with very strict covenants. So covenants are what sort of you know particular sort of financial covenants around net leverage. So. That forces you to produce a lot of profitability up front. Uh, and so that makes it harder to make investments in things like trying new marketing channels, which initially are not as profitable, or making sort of large product investments, which pay off, but not immediately. And so, you know, one of the things that we did early on in 2020 is renegotiating the covenants with our lenders to be able to do those kinds of things. And so that was another limitation that the company had as I joined it. I think we freed a lot of that. And so we're making the right investments now, um, starting even sort of last year. Um, and now sort of the hope, obviously, and, and, and the belief from me is that all of that will happen uh, to result in growth. Uh, and and, and let me get into that just a little bit here before you yeah. wrap it up. Just, what is working from the marketing side? What are you finding that is working in marketing that, you know, might have surprised you or something that you weren't doing two years ago? So interestingly enough, one of the channels that works quite well um, is if, if you think about sort of the dynamics of a consumer, a consumer uh, that just ended a relationship doesn't necessarily know. And maybe that was a relationship that lasted five years or 10 years or whatever it is, but they don't really know what the brands are because they're not in the market. They might have heard of Bumble because they made such a big sort of um, and they have very particular value proposition. They probably heard of Tinder. But it's not necessarily if you're looking for a serious relationship, that's probably not the places you're going to go to. Um, and so you you end up sort of in, in many cases looking at reviews of online dating sites and, you know, what, what, what are the best ones for my particular needs? And so affiliates, which generally maintain a lot of these review sites and provide this information or sort of places where you have that kind of information are good mechanisms to advertise the brands. And then, you you know, Facebook is a good mechanism. We're finding TikTok uh, is a good one. And then you have the traditional sort of- TikTok. Uh, yeah. For old, for TikTok, older, yeah. that's really interesting. TikTok is not that young anymore, believe it or not. I don't know, do you not use TikTok? We're not I, using TikTok I, I, with I, the Drilled on the Business I Podcast have, Network. And yeah. everyone I work with has suggested we do more TikTok stuff, including, yeah, of course, I, my- I, I have to confess, kids. I do some TikTok, I find it, uh, sometimes quite addictive, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, TikTok is one. And interestingly enough, we also have things like radio works for certain audiences. TV works for certain audiences, TV. And for our radio listeners, audiences. radio is something that existed before podcasts. <laughs> they wouldn't know. Sometimes in my, so, okay. I, I, I should say sometimes podcasts. Uh, so yes, you still listen um, through. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's super, it's such an interesting business and it's been an interesting business to follow. And, and, uh, you know, it, it does seem that, that the ship is slowly turning and if no one's noticing, but when they do, maybe they will. Um, uh, great stuff. Uh, Eric Eichmann uh, is the CEO of LOV, is the ticker, Spark Networks, is the Love. company. Appreciate your time. Uh, when the drill line continues, we're going to have one number that tells much. us a whole lot about Spark Networks. 
after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're listening to Drill Down and whatever that favorite podcast platform of yours is, but you make sure you don't miss a single show by clicking subscribe and following us. That way it'll automatically download and you can listen to every single episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Spark Networks. Spark Networks focus on um, um, sort of a religious affiliations in some cases and an older market share. They c- c- claim to con- uh, command... Here's your number, a 30% market share in the 45 and older set for online dating, Isaac, which is a really solid amount given how much dispersion yeah. there is in that in that uh, business. Yeah, I feel like there's so many air places to go. So that is a huge market share. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting company that's uh, uh, kind of under the radar, I think, uh, in the, with the bigger and well-known brands such as uh, Tinder and, and, and Match and Bumble and so on. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Right, well, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. I do appreciate your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Our editor extraordinaire, of course, is Ben Webster. The Drill Down's a production ben of Ben Wilson. Business. What is it? Who was it? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network. Network.